What a week at the creek, huh? Come on now, it was awesome. I appreciate the church helping make that possible. It was fun to watch and just neat to see you guys back at camp and then leading out in worship today. In first service, I asked who was the oldest camper. Not, not their age, but goes back the very furthest in the first time they were ever at Falls Creek. Anybody want to guess what year one? 1942. 1942. We had a camper from Falls Creek who was here, and now we see this generation of Creekers. So that was awesome, man, and glad that you were able to experience the Lord. We're going to be back together again tonight at 6 o'clock. I want to invite everybody to come on out. We're going to be right out by the annex. We're going to have a bunch of games. We're going to have Kona Ice. We're going to have hot dogs. We're going to do all kinds of different things outside just to kind of gather together as the church and just celebrate who Jesus is among us. I hope that you'll come out. It's for all the church this evening. And then VBS starts tomorrow night as we continue to see what God is doing. Let's go over to Psalm 32, where we left off last Sunday. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 32. In Psalm 32, David is writing not because he needs forgiveness. Uh, we all do. But he's writing because he has received forgiveness. In Psalm 51, that's where David has to struggle with his sin and has to finally realize, I can't deal with it on my own. I need God's forgiveness, and God forgives him of great and egregious sins. And he experiences that. And now in this psalm, he's writing to us and he's showing us how to experience the joy of salvation. Not only how you can know that you are forgiven, but that you can have the assurance of that forgiveness and how you move on in that forgiveness. As I look out over the sea of blue here, uh, many of you dealt with those issues. Many of you dealt with God forgiving you of your sin, whether for salvation, like we saw nine kids who came to know Christ, or like many in the group, who simply had to come clean with God and say, God, I need you to forgive me of this. Well, now that you've experienced that, now that we're back from the creek, what do you do next? How do you move on in that forgiveness? Well, here are some things that we looked at last week. Number one, remember this. God is the God of forgiveness. And the opposite of that, Satan who hates you, is the God of unforgiveness. And every day you wake up, you get to choose which God you serve. You have to serve one or the other. There's no middle ground. You can't say, well, I'm not going to serve either one. You will either serve the God of forgiveness and experience his forgiveness, or you will live in the land of unforgiveness. There's no middle ground. We also learn that when we sin, unconfessed sin, impacts our whole person. In the first half of this psalm, David would say, man, when I was trying to hide my sin, when I was trying to act like it was no big deal, and just trying to move on, but in unconfessed sin, it destroyed my person my physical health, my emotional well-being, the relationships that I have on this planet, and ultimately spiritually. It impacted every area of his life. We also came to realize that as we are dealing with that unconfessed sin, that God is the God of conviction. He loves you too much to leave you in that which will destroy you. He will convict you to bring you back to where you need to be and have the abundant life that he came to give you. And yet Satan is the one who is the God of condemnation. Some people this morning, maybe even worshiping online, and you feel condemned before God. You don't feel worthy of his love. Uh, the enemy has rubbed your face in it for so long that all you can see is that you're a mess and you're a sinner. And yet God has so much more for you. Clearly, this was a battle that David had to wrestle with. 
something that he had to work his way through as he tried to deal with his sin in his own strength, his own ways, versus coming to understand how God deals with our sin. So let's pick up back at verse 6. David would then go on to say, So therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you in a time in which you may be found. Certainly a flood of great waters, they will not reach him. David, as he's singing unto the Lord, he is encouraging others to learn from his story. As he would encourage you this morning and say, listen, while God can be found, cry out to him. Experience his forgiveness while he may be found. Much of this psalm that we're going to read through really parallels, I believe, from what David learned as a young man reading the scriptures, being a man after God's own heart. I believe a lot of the teachings of Psalm 32 are finally his truth that he finds as he read in Isaiah. You can write these down in your notes, Isaiah 55, verses 6 through 7. We find this same uh, truth being taught. It was Isaiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who said, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. It was fresh to watch faith come alive again in many of our students' hearts, for many of them to go down to Falls Creek, not just return back to Oklahoma City, but to actually return to the Lord, to afresh and anew be right where they're supposed to be. But that's not just happening for those who go to Falls Creek. This very morning, that needs to happen in the lives of some moms and some dads, some grandmas, some grandpas, and maybe those who didn't get to go to the creek. It is a reality that every day is made possible through God, who is the God of all forgiveness and compassion. Look at verse 7. Let them return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Maybe somebody here today who says, well, I get how he could love these sweet teenagers. Look how innocent and sweet they are. Go ahead, show them your sweet little innocence, guys. I get how God could forgive them, but God can't forgive this in my life. Well, that's contrary to what Scripture says. He is a God who just does not pardon the sins of our teenage rebellious years. He is a God who forgives abundantly and pardons beyond anything we could ever imagine. Whatever it is, wherever you've been, nobody else could write this any better than King David, whose sin and his list was darker and, and, and more egregious than many in this very space, and yet he found God's forgiveness because God is one who abundantly pardons. And so in Isaiah, but also in Psalm 32, we find this urging to call on God while he is near. That speaks of during this day in which you live. This day that God has blessed you with is not another day to push God off. It's not another day to walk in your sin. While God is near, while God is here, while, while God's grace is still being poured out on this earth, call on that grace. Because you see, you're never guaranteed another day and another chance you can't just say well you know what i'm a teenager and and i got this and and and, and it's just a season of life and i'm just going to be crazy and i'm going to do what i want to do and then when i get old like my parents then i'll get and i'll act like my parents and i'll finally settle down no call on the lord while he is near reach out in that forgive in in, in that god of compassion in that god of forgiveness and experience it because god is near you don't have to turn here, but in Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul was in Athens. And as he walked through this community, as he walked through this town, he was blown away by all the religion. 
as he would walk, just like if you were to go through Oklahoma City, there's almost a church on every street corner. Well, there was a God on every street corner. They had embraced every single God they had ever heard of. And there were shrines to each and every God. Everywhere you went through the town, there was a shrine for this. There was a temple for that. There was these uh, places of worship where they were worshiping every God that had ever been known by man. And just to make sure, they were, they were, they were going to be the most religious city on the planet. And to make sure that they didn't miss any God or gods, they even made a temple for the unknown God. They labeled as many as they could, and they thought, well, in case we missed one, we'll worship the unknown God. And Paul walked through that, and he said, I've never seen such religiosity in all my life. I've never seen so much pursuit of God, and yet you don't even know who he is. You see that one over there? The unknown God? The one you don't know? Let me tell you about him. He said, you know that guy? Oh, yeah, let me tell you about him. That God that you've not yet met, that God that you don't know. Yes, you have lots of religion, but you don't know the God? Let me tell you about him. Listen to what he says. The very God who created this world and all things in it. This God who created the heavens and the earth. He doesn't dwell in temples made by your hands. He doesn't need your help. He's the God who created all of this. And he made from one man every nation and mankind to live on the face of this earth having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps even having to grope for him in darkness, yet they found him, for he is not far from each one of us. I'm sure there was a moment where David thought, man, there's no way I can make it back to God. I blew it. I've gone too far. I, I, God is... God is so disappointed in me, and God is so far from me, and maybe that's what God feels like to you. He feels like he's a million miles away. I want you to understand, the scripture says God is near to you even in this moment. Adam and Eve hiding in the garden, they had to feel like God was a million miles away, and yet he came for them. And he came to them, and he was near to them in that garden, and he drew them out of that sin into the land of forgiveness. God wants to do that in your life this morning. God did that in David. God has done that for me, and God wants to do that for you. So we go back to Psalm 32, verse 6, and look what it says again. So let everyone who is godly pray. Pray to the one who's near. Pray to the one who has compassion, and pray to the one who forgives. For certainly a flood of great waters will not reach you. Again, there was a moment in David's life, in his story, where he felt like he was drowning in his sin. And the more he tried to cover it up, and the more he tried to fix it, the deeper he sank in his sin. He had to wake up and say, there's no way God will ever restore me. There's no way God, I'm supposed to be the king of Israel. I'm supposed to be a man after God's own heart, and I'm drowning in my sin. And yet, as he would testify, it doesn't matter how far out you've swum from the shore. It doesn't matter how far off you are from God. God is still near. And you will not drown in that sin, but you must call on him. Verse 7. While he tells us to call on him while he can be found, that alludes to the reality that there will be a time you won't be able to call on him. There will be a time when it's too late. When is that time? Well, the Bible says as long as you're alive on this planet, you're under a season of God's grace. 
God is willing that none should perish, but all come to everlasting life. God has been gracious to us and given us all an opportunity to draw unto him and have relationship with him. But there will come a time, and nobody knows the hour, nobody knows the day. Not all of us are guaranteed to live to ripe old age of 100, and even if we do, there will still come a time when we can no longer call on the Lord. When we take that last breath, when we enter out into eternity, the books are sealed and the books are fixed. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Are you under the blood of Jesus and do you know his forgiveness or will you miss it? Verse 7, for those who call on his name, he says, he will be your hiding place. He will keep you from trouble and surround you with songs of deliverance. That word hiding place literally means a secret place outside the view of the enemy. David, if you know his story, after defeating Goliath and a little later on, as the hand-picked king of Israel, Saul, would fail the people, their pick to be king, the one they voted into office, would betray them and would not be the king they thought he was going to be. So God handpicks their next king and sends a prophet. You remember who they picked, or who God picked? God picked David. And from that moment, Saul continued to see David as a threat to his power and his throne and did everything he could to take the life of David. And so David, what did David do? Did David hang out at church? Did he have a good support group to keep him lifted up? Did he go to Falls Creek? No, David had to hide in the wilderness and hide in the caves because if the enemy ever found him, he'd be a dead man. David now says, and I'm sure he learned this lesson in many of those caves, while the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy my life, while he tries to destroy me through sin, when I experience a God of forgiveness, the enemy can't get to me. And, and, and as safe as I was in that cave from Saul, even safer am I from the enemy of my soul, Satan. God is my cave. He is that safe place. He is my hiding place. And the enemy can't touch me. Go to verse 8. So now David knows forgiveness. But notice what David says. Not only are you just to receive God's forgiveness, how do you move on in that forgiveness? Well, let's take a look. Verse 8. What do you do next, guys, now that you're back from Falls Creek? Do you go back to your old ways? Do you go back to doing what you were doing? Do you just keep living the life of a teenager like you were before Falls Creek? Or do you move on in your new forgiveness? Let me show you what it looks like. Let me, let me show you what David experienced. Verse 8, he said, For God told me, I will instruct you. I will teach you the ways in which you should go. You want to know why you guys experience the power of God in your life at camp? Not because there's something mystical and magical at Falls Creek. But you know why you heard from heaven? Because you allowed God to be in your story every day. You woke up and you spent time in God's Word and He instructed you. You went to tabernacle time, and you spent time together there. You spent time in small groups, and then you came back into your cabins, and Braden and Hunter opened up the Word of God, and you were instructed. And every time you come under the instruction of God, you will experience the plan of God. Every time you, you look to Him to guide your path, you will find yourself in the center of God's will and not off on some detour. So all you have to do when you get back from Falls Creek, just like David had to learn in his forgiveness, is keep moving forward in that forgiveness. Let God instruct you. Keep spending time in God's Word and let God speak to you. 
Again, I take you back into Isaiah. You don't have to turn there. You can write it in your notes. But look at it on the screen. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. You see, we can experience God's forgiveness. We can know that God's forgiveness exists, but that doesn't mean we move on in that forgiveness. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21, he says, Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way to walk in it. Whether you turn to the right or whether you turn to the left. I love this passage, and we've looked at it before, but let me paint a picture for you. If, you. if you take a look at the next slide, you'll see a road sign, and the road sign shows you your reality. And in this reality, you can be on the road. You can be right there, and you can be uh, following the Lord. And now that you've been to Falls Creek, and you've anchored some things down, and you're right there with the Lord, and you're walking with the Lord, he's your shepherd. He leads you to greener pastures and quiet waters. He, he leads you down that path, and he's guiding your life. But the enemy who hates you wants to shepherd you off of that path, either to the right or to the left. So here you are, you're on the path and you're following Jesus, and yet something pops up in your life, something pops up in your day. The enemy throws a distraction at you to get you to go to the right or to the left. So since I'm talking to Baptists, we're going to go to the right, you know, always right before left. That goes politically, amen? All right, here we go. So take a look. Here you are, and you were walking with Jesus, you come back all fired up for Jesus, and yet... The enemy plants a detour for you, a scenic route. And you think it's not that big of a deal. It's not that much of a compromise. And man, it sure looks like, matter of fact, all my friends are going there this weekend. I'm going to go where they are. And you detour to the right. Now you've stepped outside of God's will. It doesn't matter if it's one degree off, 10 degrees off, or 100 degrees off. It isn't the scenic route you thought it was. You are now outside the will of God. What does Isaiah 30 say? You will hear a word. God loves you too much to leave you on this path that will destroy your life. He loves you and wants you right in the center of his will. And so what does God do? God, the God of conviction, speaks to you through his word. And you hear a word. Where's the word? Where is it? Hello? Where is it? According to Isaiah, you hear a word where? Somebody help me. Come on now, wake up. You hear a word behind you. Thank you behind me because I have stepped outside of where God is and there may be somebody here this morning that's where you find yourself you're not that far off the path you're not way out there like David was but can I tell you anything outside of God is falling short of his glory and you need to hear his word he instructs us he instructs us back and the only way I can get back to where I should be is I have to repent you see I have a choice I can keep moving in this direction or I can hear the word behind me, and when I hear his word calling me back to himself, I turn, it's a change of attitude and a change of direction, and I come back to him, who is the way, who is the truth, and who is life. But we get caught up on the detours, and so here we go back to the map, and now we've learned our lesson, and we've repented, and we've come back from Falls Creek. All is well now, right? Wrong. Every day you wake up, there's a battle for the direction of your path. And now, he may not get you moving that direction. He may move you over in a different direction, in a different way. And so now I move over here, and now I take a step in this direction. Where's the Lord? Behind me. And his word is there calling me back to himself. And you have to decide, am I going to stay where I am, or am I going to be where he's calling me to be? 
Ezekiel 18, verse 30 says, Repent and turn away from all your offenses, so that your wrongdoings do not become a stumbling block to you. You can stay out there. You can keep taking the scenic route. But he says, if you don't repent of that, if you don't change, and you don't come back to God's will and God's way, out here you will fall, you will stumble, and it won't be just a little trip. You'll be tripping. And it will be ugly, and it will be permanent in some situations. It will be destructive, and it will not only destroy your life, but even your story. I don't know how many of you this summer have experienced Satan's will for mankind. Anybody experienced Satan's will for mankind? It's called I-35. Anybody been on I-35? Since I've been alive on this planet, I-35, even before I was a Christian, it was Satan's will. It's never been right. It's never been fixed. It's never been good. It's always been hellacious experience. It's even worse now. I'm sure it was fun going on a school bus uh, down I-35 this year. Fortunately, we live in a different day. We live in a day where we have apps that can help us called GPS's one of the best ones on the planet I highly recommend it. it's called Waze W-A-Z-E the Waze app maybe some of you use it if you haven't man I highly recommend it and here's the beautiful thing about Waze Waze can see what I can't see Waze can show me the best way to get where I'm supposed to go and not experience Satan's will I'm not claiming it's a Christian app but I am telling you it was a better experience to Falls Creek than it was going to be without the Waze you see, in the technology that's there built into ways, I don't know how it's done. It's kind of spooky and scary, but they know exactly what the traffic patterns are, where the traffic jams are, and they know how to get you around the traps and the best path to your journey. There are a lot of us that are running around just heading from point A to point B, thinking we'll eventually get there, and we're going to go the way, and maybe we take a left, and maybe we take a right, and we fall into Satan's trap. But if we would look to the right GPS, the God positioning system, if we would look to the Lord and say, Lord, instruct me. God, show me where the traps are. God, I'm trusting you to be. And, and man, if you just trust his direction, you experience a much better journey. There's some of you that need to quit doing it on your own, go in your own direction. You need to hear that word behind you and return back to him. And when you do, look at verse 10. The sorrows of the wicked are many, but the one who trusts in the Lord, goodness will surround him. There's a lot of sorrows out here on these scenic routes. There's a lot of devastation and destruction when we, when we go our own way and we move where we want to go or where everybody else is going. But the one who returns, the one who hears his word, the one who lets God be his instruction, the word of God to be a lamp unto his path, goodness surrounds him. The youth wrestled with all this at, at Falls Creek as Braden and Hunter taught. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it talks about two kinds of sorrow. In David's psalm, he says there's the sorrow of the wicked. In 2 Corinthians 7, it calls it the sorrow of the world. And then there's the sorrow of God. What's the difference? Well, we have two pictures of it in Jesus' days, the last days of his life. There were two who would sin against him, two that would betray Jesus, Judas and Peter. Judas would sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. 
he would detour to the left. He would meet there with those Pharisees. He would sell out 30 pieces of blood money. I don't think he was trying to be evil. I think he was just trying to force Jesus' hand. Doesn't matter how you rationalize it. Doesn't matter what you're thinking. It may not seem like that big of a deal. Hey, I can profit with 30 pieces of silver, and now Jesus has to prove who he is. I'm tired of waiting on him. If he's the Messiah, nobody can touch him. And I can make a little money. And that night as he would betray Jesus, Satan, the God of condemnation, would come out against him with all forces of hell and would condemn him and show him how evil he was, how disgusting he was. And because he was not a child of God but a son of perdition, that night he would end his life in despair, discouragement, and destruction. Why? Oh, he was sorry. He was sorry for what he did. Matter of fact, he was so sorry after he did it, he threw all the money back to the guy and said, I don't want it. I don't want to be guilty. I don't. And he tried to deal with his own sin. But that night he would take his life because he was hopeless. He didn't have Jesus in his heart. He just knew who Jesus was. But he didn't know Jesus. That's worldly sorrow. Sorry for what we've done. Sorry because we got caught. Sorry because of the consequences that happened. Man, I hate what this is doing to me. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. Worldly sorrow. You got Peter. Peter also detoured in that moment. The Bible says he followed Jesus from a distance that night. And in this detour, following Jesus from a distance, he would deny Jesus three times. Matter of fact, the third time he would cuss Jesus to his face. That's pretty, that's pretty dark. That's that's pretty bad to cuss out Jesus face to face just trying to deny who he was because you didn't want to lose your life like Jesus was about to lose his the Bible says in that moment because he was a child of God he experienced a different sorrow the Bible says he went out and he wept bitterly he repented he heard God's word and what had Jesus said to him Peter don't forget you're going to deny me three times tonight. I already know it's going to happen. No, it's not. Yeah, it's going to happen. But Peter, remember this. I'm praying for you. And listen to what Jesus said. When you return, when you return, that you will strengthen the brethren. Godly sorrow is not just being sorry for your sin. Godly sorrow isn't just being, oh, God, man, I failed you. And God, I'm sorry. And God, I don't want the spanking. That's worldly sorrow. But in 2 Corinthians, it says there's a sorrow that leads to repentance. We change and we come back to the Lord Jesus and we make him our way, our truth, and our life. And we move on in that forgiveness to the point where we get to the last verse of this psalm. Look at it again, Psalm 37, verse 11. When you experience a repentance, a sorrow that leads to repentance, you find gladness and joy. Look at it. So be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones. Shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. David said, I discovered it. I used to be sad in my sin, but now I'm glad in the Lord. I used to be miserable, and I used to be trapped and drowning in my sin, but now I shout for joy because I'm no longer hiding my sin. But I'm resting in my hiding place, Jesus. For some of you don't have a song to sing because you're hiding your sin. There's some that are not experiencing the joy of their salvation because they've taken a detour to the right or to the left. 
Well, may you hear the word of God today and respond to his holy word. Let's pray about it. With every head bowed and every eye closed, your opportunity to respond. I'm going to ask our staff to make their way to the front. I'm going to ask those at Falls Creek, while you made your decisions public down there, we didn't get to be a part of that, and we want you to honor God in this moment. And we'd like for you to come forward to, to some of the youth guys or the staff, and, and, and we will share with the church what your decision was at camp. You'll be the first ones to lead the way. There ought to be a sea of blue. There might be a mom or a dad, you didn't get it to False Creek, or a student who didn't make it to False Creek, but you need to hear the word of God today. You need to repent and return back to where God is. If that's you, we would encourage you to come. Maybe you need a church family and a church home. We'd love for you to join the church today, and you and your family, or you as a single person, can come and say, I need to join the church. I need a church family. We'll receive you as we receive members. Maybe you just have a question. How can I know God's forgiveness? We'll pray with you. We'll encourage you from God's word. We'll help you nail it down today. Maybe there's someone else. There were nine at the creek that gave their lives to Christ. They repented of their sin and found them a savior. Is that you today? Do you need to come? Maybe as you've been to Falls Creek, God's put somebody on your heart as you come back now that you need to be praying for. You can come grab a ping pong ball, put their initials on it, and you put it at the cross. Whatever you need to do in these moments, I want to pray for you. If you have a decision to glorify God with today, I want to encourage you. Let's experience God in this moment. Let's trust him in the land of forgiveness. And let's move forward where God instructs us and takes us. Father God, be the Lord of this moment, the Lord of every heart, the Lord of every decision. We give you all glory and praise in our next steps of obedience, for we do it now in Jesus' name. Amen.